Welcome back. This is episode 29 of Herpetological Highlights. I am Ben Marshall, and co-hosting, as always, is Tom Major. Um, what do we have for people this fortnight, Tom? <laughs> we have got snakes biting stuff. Biting stuff at record speeds. Yeah, and they're not just biting animals, they're biting pretend human hands as well. We've got a bit of a mix. <laughs> we do. That pretty we much do. covers the gamut of things which snakes bite, so yeah. Um, possibly each other. Well, as we know, yeah, we know that from a certain delightful little green pit viper, don't we? But um, yeah. yeah, yes, yeah, they do sometimes nibble on each other, but for the most part, they're actually using their mouths either for defence or offence. And um, yeah, we got a couple of really cool papers, uh, pretty hard-hitting papers actually, from quite recently about um, yeah, snakes biting stuff. Yeah. Uh, should we just jump straight into the first one? Happy with that? Yeah, mate. Let's do it. So, the first one, I think we're going with the Penning, Sorvel and Moon <laughs> 2016 paper to begin with. I don't know. Going with chronological always, order. It doesn't, because, I don't know how this always happens because I've got them the other way around. But I was thinking when well, I was... because you've gone by alphabetical order. And I started that way around, but then I realised... The second paper mentions the first paper, so I thought, well, I better do them chronologically then. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I know it's that too. And I thought we were just going to like, I don't know what I thought. But yeah, let's do it the other way around. It, it makes more sense. <laughs> so yeah, we'll start with Penny. Yeah, so this was published in Biological Letters, Debunking the Viper's Strike, Harmless Snakes Kill a Common Assumption. Yeah. Fun title. It's a fun title. It's kind of confusing me, but I like the title overall. It's How's a good it title. confusing? Debunking the viper's strike, harmless snakes kill a common assumption. I I don't know. The word kill is like spinning me out. I don't know why. But yeah, I like it. I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's good. You can't kill an abstract concept. Yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it was like whether or not it makes sense uh, in terms of the uh, semantics. But regardless, it's a cool paper. And get straight to the point. Biting stuff's important. Especially for an animal that doesn't have any hands or legs mm. or grabbing things. Well, I suppose they can coil around stuff, but yeah. biting's a critical part of even coiling around something. So how fast you can bite something and preventing it from getting away, pretty fun- fundamentally important. It is. And if you've ever been bitten by a snake, you'll know that it happens quite fast. I haven't. I've never been bitten You've by a snake. You've never been bitten... Wow. Never been bitten by a snake. I mean, I haven't been bitten by many, but um, I've been bitten by... Well, I say that. I've been bitten by lots of escalating snakes in recent history. But uh, aside from that, <laughs> yeah, generally speaking, you can avoid them. Nothing dangerous, thankfully. But uh, yeah, I mean, once a snake elects to bite you, you've pretty much got to be jet to dodge it. You can't really get out of the way. So you've got to uh, either stay out of range or just accept it. Um and uh, the whole point of this paper was to kind of try and work out just how fast snakes are biting, um, how long it takes them to make a bite, and um, yeah, how fast they accelerate their head when they're doing a, a bite. Yeah, part of me feels like the motivation behind this paper was we've got this really fancy new bit of kit that can shoot <laughs> in super slow motion. What can we point it at? Yeah. Ah. Perfect. And why not? Bring me why? that rattlesnake. <laughs> yeah, what possible better way could there a... be? <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. I'm, I ain't complaining. Right, all right. Well, I've got 12 Western Diamondback rattlesnakes downstairs. <laughs> let's let's fill up a glove with straw and see if we can get it to bite it. <laughs> <laughs> was it with straw? I don't know. It was stuffed with something. Stuffed glove. But yeah, so, so here we are looking at a paper that's basically did exactly that. Recorded high-speed video of some vipers and some Texan rattlesnakes. Texas rat snakes, sorry. Yeah. I mean, those are synonyms, aren't they, really? They're probably from Texas, I would say. But, yeah. Panther well, I think, is... I, said te- I think I said Texan rattlesnakes. Oh, did you? That's not a snake. definitely isn't the same. <laughs> That's not. <laughs> so, yeah, Texas rat snakes, Pantherophis obsoletus. They're like... The Texas rat snake is a subspecies. I can't remember what it is. But, um, yeah, they're kind of like corn snake looking guys. Hmm. They're the same genus as corn snakes. They like dark coloured corn snakes. They're quite cute. And, uh, yeah, the other two species were cotton mouths, which we've talked about 
lots of times on the podcast, Agkistron Pisivarus and uh, Western Diamondback Rattlesnake Scrutalis Aatrox. Mm. And then uh, a few a few uh, snakes from previously published studies thrown into the mix. And yeah, these three species and the previous ones were um, all compared, like we said, to see, well, to measure metrics of their strikes, really, and uh, work yeah, out whether much. or not. Straight to the point. Yeah, because I think the, the long-standing idea... I mean, vipers are probably the coolest snakes, and so they get probably more credit than they deserve in some respects for being the best at everything. Yeah, and they've got that proper attitude-like face that does just sort of make them look pretty mean. And and uh, I don't isn't aren't they one of the later evolved snake families? Yeah, they're like, so they have that like oh more sophisticated sort of fallacy about it yeah precisely they're like the most sort of recently emerged uh sort of uh, of all the venomous snakes they're kind of the most modern ones and um they have the cool technology where they can flip their fangs out and then tuck them away again you know heat sensing pits they're just all around badass um swiss army knife of snakes exactly and so for that reason people tend to assume that they're also the best at everything like are they you know because they've been shown to be fast in the past people just assume you know oh they're faster than xyz snake but um yeah or it's from people like i bet you i can poke that snake in the face without it biting me and then getting bitten yeah i mean you can't <laughs> if you're wondering <laughs> you, you just can't. can't oh man god that that guy in america who got bitten by the rattlesnake this week that's like taking the world by storm the one that wasn't attached to its body yeah he got bitten by just the face the face alone managed to outwit him which i mean he should be deeply ashamed but also more ashamed because he elected to kill a snake, and then doubly ashamed because karma just came back around and bit him. But um, I, uh, I, I haven't read much about it. I saw, I saw, the, I saw the headline. I'm like, yeah, I'm not touching that. That's normal snake news. Yeah, I had lots of people send me it, so I felt obligated I should read it. And then it came up at conversation at dinner yesterday, and uh, yeah, uh, we we really got to it. But um, yeah, it was also on the radio today. My mum actually, uh, my mum texted me like. Uh, this guy called Mark Amy, who uh, I actually bought a snake off as a teenager, and he's like, he's a really cool little guy. He knows loads about snakes, and um, he does like loads of TV shows and radio appearances about snakes. And she was like, oh, he's on the radio, so I flicked it on. And um, yeah, I mean, the presenter, Jeremy Vine, do you know who he is? Jeremy Vine, who does points of view and also uh, eggheads on occasion. <laughs> yeah, basically, this really irritating guy who looks like he's made of wax. He. Um, <laughs> Oh, poor Jeremy Vine. Mate, I have no... Nah, not poor Jeremy Vine. If you'd have heard him on the radio, the guy was being an absolute moron. He was like... He had a, they had a six-foot Burmese python in the radio booth. And um, all he kept saying was like, so when's it going to try and kill me? Oh, it's constricting me. Oh, just basically whipping up some hysteria about snakes. It was incredibly irritating. Poor old Mark Amy's there, you know, trying to make some sense out of it all. Like, you know, you do realise the snake isn't trying to kill you. It thinks you're a warm tree. It's just going about its business. It's not tense. It's just relaxed. And he wasn't the having The patience of, of that man must be... Yeah, mate. If I'd have been in that studio, I'd have been like, Jeremy, to be frank, you're being a bit of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, man. Yeah. yeah, it's sad as well, because you could hear that actually, like, part of him was genuinely admiring the snake for what it was. But, um, mm. yeah, he was more interested in making a radio show, which was less than sensible which is sad um but anyway i digress yeah expect better of the bbc well do we i don't know we do remember the uh so this is going on a wild tangent now but a while ago <laughs> there was that guy who was unfortunately constricted or they they decided that he was sort of killed accidentally by one of his uh, pet pythons oh yeah yeah remember that down south Yes, and um, that was actually, you know, compared to what I was expecting the coverage to be, very well measured, not over the top. They had snakes in the studio and stuff, and they were super chill, and they were all, you know, they didn't ask stupid questions, and everything was very relaxed, and they had good experts on, and everything. It was, it was done right, as as you know, as best as they could. It was completely unexpected because i was expecting big snake hysteria nonsense but it was restrained and quite frankly sensible it was really well that's good to hear because i mean i yeah. i mean i don't it, it can be done 
Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it's that that is reassuring. But um, perhaps then, in this case, that it is just Jeremy Vine's show where they elected to do dumb stuff. Maybe shouldn't, shouldn't vilify the whole B- the BBC for one bad apple. I, yeah, I mean, I'm just picking out one example of where they did it better than expected. So am I. So, well, I'm picking out the opposite. One bad example. So we're kind of on like they're one for one. <laughs> uh, we need a bigger sample. <laughs> Yeah, we do. That's what I was thinking. I was to some more examples, but I'm not going there. No, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do this. So anyway, uh, back to the paper at hand. Yeah, they basically poked all these snakes or put a glove near them until they were suitably irritated and went for a bite. Recorded them with super, super high frame rate video cameras. So they were getting like, was it 500 frames per second, I think? Or was that the other paper? Uh, they didn't give it in frames per second. They said set to 250 hertz and a shutter speed of less than or equal to 0.004 seconds, which I cannot do that maths off the top of my head. 0.004. 0.004, what's that going to be? That's going to be... It's 250 frames a second. Oh, okay, so it's half as fast. Okay, that's good. Which I suppose... So, I always forget I always forget what hertz is, so I just I just discarded that. Yeah, but really, know. that was just a frames per second. Yeah, I don't know why I picked like the most awkward questions to ask you when we're recording. What you can do is you can um, you can edit that last bit so it seems like we just immediately knew. <laughs> yeah, I will. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit it so I say the speed first, and then you ask the question, and then I say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, idiot! Listen. Are you going to have little soundbites in there? Like... It does save 250 frames per second in the figure anyway. <laughs> it's right in front of me. Oh, uh, is it? Well, you got it right at least. That's reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I used to calculate it, didn't I? <laughs> oh, did you, you devil? You used a calculator? I was saying. Well, yeah, because otherwise I was going to sit here trying to work it out in my head. That's what I was doing. I was just staring blankly at the wall like, oh, this is a hard sell. <laughs> what a waste of time. <laughs> a waste of time. Mate, I'm, I'm making my neurons shoot around. It's good. Oh, anyway, doing a PhD you should that should happen enough. Mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fair. Uh, don't know. I think it's always good to practice those neurons. So, um, <laughs> what was it? Yeah. Anyway, where were we? We're talking about yeah, whether or not there's a difference. We in haven't terms got of, far, mate. No, we haven't. We're literally still on the intro. Okay. So, was there a difference in terms of acceleration or striking speed and duration? They filmed them and then they used loads of clever analytical methods to like put points on the snake and see how fast their heads were moving, etc., etc. And what they found that there was actually mm. no significant difference. So pit vipers and rat snakes were more or less the same in terms of their acceleration, striking speed and the duration of the strike. So how long it took from them moving to actually contacting the aggressing glove. But what was interesting was that, um, well, I mean, that is actually probably the most interesting thing. The fact that they've debunked the myth that pit vipers and yes. things like that have the fastest strike or accelerate faster. I mean, they are, they are, you know, it's not saying that they're, they are marginally faster, but there's mm. over, there's so much overlap that it's, it's muddied basically. Yeah. The means were faster, but by insignificant amounts. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, maybe if, maybe if there were more snakes, they could eventually pick it out. But yeah, it wasn't a big difference. Um, so you know, rat snakes, you know, they're putting up a fairly good strike battle, and uh, they could actually strike mm. further than the vipers. So they initiate their strikes from further away uh, than the pit vipers did. Yes, and what's also we're talking about defensive bites here, which will become more important when we talk about the second paper, is when we're t- doing comparisons. Yes, we are. But yeah. defensive bites, you you can imagine, will be different from predatory bites. Yes, you would think so. Like, yeah, because I'd imagine they're being potentially uh, more reluctant, perhaps. Uh, well, I would imagine being less committed to a bite. I think so. There's certainly stuff I've seen with God. What was it? it was, that was a BBC documentary, wasn't it? Um, One million snake the bites. Million snake bites, where they had that fantastic. Fantastic footage of the saw scaled viper, um, just headbutting that was um, a that fake foot because it was, was um, a Russell's viper, wasn't it? If it might be a it might be a Russell's, I'm not I'm not committing I know, to. I know there's footage where they have that fake foot and they're like stamping yeah. it on the ru- on the viper, and the viper's like leave me alone. And it's like doesn't want to bite, and the it just foot. sort of headbutts it, yeah, and then 
yeah, bluff bites. And... Mm. and a lot of the time it actually did nothing. It just kind of sit there and took it. It was like, okay. Or it tried to fling itself away in some sort of crazy jerky motion. Yeah, that one was a bit embarrassing, actually. I felt a bit awkward for that snake. It just looked ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, if you, if you slowed me down when someone made me jump, I'd probably look silly as well, so... Oh, definitely. It's guaranteed. <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> so, um, yeah, rat snakes strike a bit further. But as we're saying, this is a defensive bite, so uh, it's a bit different. And I don't know, like, with a rat snake, when when a... It's, I mean, we don't really know how vipers choose their kind of venom... Product, not production, but they, we don't know how they elect to dispense venom in different situations really there isn't really much stuff about the difference between aggressive like you know, well not aggressive but feeding bites and defensive bites and so mm. it's difficult to know if that would have a, an impact because um presumably i don't know whether or not they're trying to dispense venom when they're giving a defensive bite because it seems like in the immediacy of being bitten even pit viper bites aren't necessarily that painful straight off the bat um so it's all yes it's a whole that's a whole rabbit hole of exactly venom as a defensive uh, mechanism and stuff isn't it that's a that's a whole separate episode right yeah 100% and then some and so I don't think actually all the answers are there anyway no they're not if we were to go looking for them no they're not they're not Um, and but yeah so it's interesting because You'd think if a rat snake was going to do a defensive bite and it's not trying to catch anything, it might as well just have a go from miles away. Whereas if a pit viper is trying to do a defensive bite and they are trying to get venom into the person or whatever the aggressor might be, they might yeah. they might start a bit later on, which could explain why the rat snakes are batting from further away. They just want things away from them sooner. Yes. I wonder if it is also a weight to length ratio thing. Ah, yeah. With vipers being shorter and heavier, so there's sort of it makes sense in my mind seeing this rat snake being able to fling it, fling itself a bit further with a, a slimmer, longer body. But uh, you know, we're not talking about crazy differences in distance. Yeah, there is some logic to that, but I know that like a lot of vipers can really propel themselves when they want to. Yeah, yeah. but I wonder if that's going to leave themselves more vulnerable. Yeah, and so yeah. not worth it. It's funny as well because like. A rat snake defensive bite is a last resort. And really, the vast majority of things are going to be like, oh, you actually don't have any means of hurting me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... Yeah, I mean, I, I do think the sort of... Uh, last resort slash how likely things are to bite, you're probably going to see a more frequent bite from a rat snake, I'd imagine, because it is probably going to cost less for them. Yeah. And that would play into hey, thing doesn't have to get so close for me to throw a bite out. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we could we could hypothesize about this all day. Um, yeah, but instead, should we talk about some of the cool uh, sort of comparisons they bring up? Yes. When we're talking about how fast these things are... What's really going on here? Yeah. Because one thing that... Okay... Snake bites are fast. But what you probably don't immediately think about is the forces that must be acting on the snake's head as it accelerates at unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable rates. So they've got accelerations of 98 to 279 uh, meters per second squared. And... To put that in proper context, uh, fighter jets launch at, what did they say, 27 to 49 metres per second squared. So yeah. half, less than half, the slowest snake strike they recorded. But just boggles the mind. So what you're saying is if we need to train fighter pilots for the next generation of warfare, we should be using snakes. Yes, or attach pilots to snakes' heads for training. Ah, yes. Very good. But even that would... That's the other thing. That wouldn't even work. People people would lose the ability to use their limbs because of the G-forces. Because mm. anything over 30 metres per second squared, you can't, you can't move. Mm. No, you can't stand up. Anything over 78, you can't move your legs. 
Oh, you have arms. So you're, you're incapacitated. You're basically a sausage. Yeah. Just a useless... And that's 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 not just a human. That's a human in one of those fancy jet pressurised suits that yeah. keep all your blood in the right place. Mm. It's insane. We can't even build something to allow us to take the pressure and the G-force that these snakes are doing you know, on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But then they do bring up the fact that they don't really know how like, things like distance from the heart affects your actual... Um, the, how you're influenced by G-force. So mm. it could be that our sort of anatomical structure actually predisposes us to being really bad at having extra gravity inflicted on us, whereas snakes, which have actually evolved to have that extra gravity, might be better suited and therefore have mechanisms which we don't yet understand to stop them passing out when they strike. <laughs> well, let's hope so, because yeah. otherwise... <laughs> Like you, you imagine that sort of snake situation. You you go for a you know whatever defensive bite, miss, fall <laughs> unconscious because your all the blood's gone out of your head. Yeah, <laughs> you just leave yourself open to be. <laughs> I've got to say though, that's not eaten up. <laughs> that's not my experience with snakes though. Generally speaking, if they miss you with a bite, they have another go and quite often succeed. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. They've got a mechanism to deal with these crazy G-forces. Yeah. That's, they've got it down. Either way, it's really, really cool. And, um, yeah, talking about the sort of, just the incredible capabilities of them. Uh, should we go on? I mean, have you got any more cool capability stuff? Or should we go on to paper two? Because that really gets into just the madness that some of these snakes are capable of. I was just going to pull out one of the other cool comparisons they have. Yeah, go on. And that's um, that the overall the strike time, so from strike initiating to it ending, was around fifty to ninety milliseconds. Okay, fifty to ninety milliseconds. What does that actually mean? They quoted a blink is two hundred and two milliseconds. So in the time that you've blinked, a snake could have struck twice, presuming there was no time for it to recover from the first strike. That's crazy. <laughs> But if it was a couple of, you know, it, it faster than you can blink. Blink and you miss it twice. Yeah. Yeah. They'll get you. Not just not, not just rattlesnakes, but your, your rat snakes too. It's not surprising then that it does really make you jump when a snake strikes. It's faster than we can really get. It's faster than we can understand. Yeah, you might as well just give up. Yeah. Just, just take just, the hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, it does make you think, thank goodness there aren't snakes that actively predate people still. Mate, I'll never think that. I would love there to be snakes that I'd be probably afraid of. Oh man, you'd have no chance though. Yeah, but imagine how cool it Like you hear the, the, the whole, I, I'm sure I brought it up on the podcast before with the uh, Harry Green's papers on, the, on people having to defend themselves from... Uh, reticulated python predation attempts and stuff. Yeah. That sounds terrifying enough. And that's a snake that is just about small enough to handle if you've got a knife on you. Man, yeah. I would Dude, not... Dude, just, you know, actually bump that up a, a couple more metres. Yeah. You wouldn't stand a chance. No. I would not back myself against a big reticulated python if I was by myself. <laughs> no way, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, they could potentially do some damage. Uh, so, let's move on to the second paper. Uh, yes, let's. The second paper is entitled Hyam, Clark, Collins, Whitford and Framiller 2017 Rattlesnakes are extremely fast and variable when striking at kangaroo rats in nature three-dimensional high-speed kinetic kinematics at night and this was published in scientific reports which is very cool uh the opening line of this paper is everything is eaten by something wow yeah it's true you everything could, you could just leave it at that exactly i mean i mean that's like whoa so everything really <laughs> is eaten by something i tried to think of an example of something that wasn't eaten by something else and like i couldn't it's, you can't be done 
And uh, in this case, yep. it's kangaroo rats versus Mojave rattlesnakes. So we're talking about Cratalus scutellatus. That's exactly that's exactly how I wrote it in the notes. Was versus. Oh really? Yeah, it was. Wasn't like it? it was a battle. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> I mean, these things are giving nearly as good as they. Well, they. Get, I mean, it was like fifty percent good bad, right? They, they're they're it's a, little professionals. Well, it's one of those um, like an arms race. You've got Mojave rattlesnakes snakes getting faster and faster. You've got kangaroo rats getting smarter and faster and springier. Yeah, really cool. It 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 is one of the most sort of like intense ecological arms races because it's not you know. There's not, I mean, there probably is stuff to do with the venom and all this other stuff, but what we are talking about and what this paper is about is literally just animals getting faster and faster in an attempt to be the faster one, in one case to kill and the other case to avoid being killed. Yeah. It, it's like the most basic ecological interaction you could possibly hope to talk about or read about, and that's why this paper is so cool. But yeah, there's so much sort of subtlety and nuance to it that makes it so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So... I want to talk a bit about these kangaroo rats, right? These Miriam's kangaroo rats. Dipodemus meriami. Meriam? Meriamai. Meriamai, because it's named after someone. So I wouldn't usually be concerned about the sort of fluffy little creature a snake is eating. But I have to say, I did make an exception in this case. Because they are really cool. Mm. <laughs> they've got these little... Le- well, they've got really long legs. They bounce around. This, like, really weird sloping head with little tiny ears. They look like... yeah. I don't know what they look like. They're like little. They look like a badly drawn mouse. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. They look these like little dopey donuts. <laughs> in the there. nicest possible way. Yeah. <laughs> the bouncy sand. Someone got bored halfway. It's just oh yeah, they got big legs. Whatever. <laughs> like and they then drew the tail. a slant, and then just had to fill in the gap. Yeah, and the tail is like, what the hell's going on there? It's like this really long, thin tail <laughs> with just like this really big chunk at the end, like a little paddle. What's going on? I mean, I, I can only imagine they use that to change direction in the air. I it's don't a rudder. even want to... It's a rudder. It, it's some sort of space air rudder, of course. They are like little aliens, and I think they're cool. And, I mean, after watching the videos that are attached to this, I love them even more. Oh, my more. gosh. <laughs> yeah, can we... Um, uh, we'll, we'll bring up the videos in a minute. You, you go on about your kangaroo rats, but holy smokes, the videos are awesome. Yeah, the videos are crazy. Like, I mean, I I love supplementary material in, in terms of videos. Like, it really is... Like, great, we both do, I know. But um, mm. these were some of the best I've seen. They were just awesome. The first one, where the kangaroo rat just bowls through the grass. It's like grass flying all over the place. And then, <laughs> out of nowhere, the poor little thing gets struck out by a rattlesnake. And then it's just like, whoop. No, it just does this little leg dodge. Oh, it's so cool. Tiny little dodge. Yeah. yeah. It was very subtle. It was very subtle dodge. But it was definitely a dodge. Um, yeah, so we, what they did in this paper, let's talk about that. So... They essentially wanted to film some interactions between wild Mojave rattlesnakes, which are Crotalus scutellatus, as we said earlier, which are really, really cool rattlesnakes. They're sort of uh, olivey greeny coloured with, you know, the classic sort of diamonds down the back, um, little white and black tails. They're awesome. And uh, mm. they really wanted to see how they interacted in the world with these kangaroo rats. So <laughs> what they did was they fed the kangaroo rats delicious seeds and got them habituated to eating seeds and then they would scatter seeds around the rattlesnakes where they were ambushing in the hopes of <laughs> initiating a wild interaction um, and and they did get lucky a few times and they managed to film it all in super super slow motion yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought that up the, the methods because it was like okay so you did a bit of radio telemetry to find out where the snakes are okay it's an ambush position you set up the camera trap but to do it on a specific uh, one species and one species predation interaction. Yeah, there's got to be a little bit of gentle, uh, not coercion. You can call but, it cheating, um, I think, in this case. <laughs> manipulation, yeah. shall we say. I can imagine the conversation being like, oh, man, we've been out in the field for two months. You know, the rattlesnakes, they're just, they're not getting any rats. We're, you know, we're filming all this stuff. These high-speed cameras aren't cheap to run. Well, let's just sprinkle some seeds around. <laughs> <laughs> Cooks them in. <laughs> Either way, it was really cool. The the um, the resulting. Well, thing. I think yeah. And what's nice is is the focus of the paper does not is not being muddied by the fact that they've coaxed the rats to the interaction. Oh no, it's completely irrelevant. Because that's what's sort of nice. You know, it's not like the seeds are in front of the viper or something. No, it's, 
And it's not like <laughs> just sidles up and has some has some snacks, and then the snake gets them. It's it's very much everything's in motion, and oh yeah, is absolutely how it would happen in nature, or at least you know you'd fully expect it to. Yeah, and I mean, what are these mice? What well, sorry, rats going to be doing if they're not rooting around for seeds? They're going to be rooting around for seeds anyway. They've just now got some seeds to root around for in a particular place. Yeah, so it's pretty natural. And do you know what I thought was amazing about this? There was. Eight observations, right? Eight filmed observations, four successful mm. captures, and four missed attempts by these snakes. And they got a paper into scientific reports with eight observations. I know. I was I was thinking the exact same <laughs> yeah. thing as I was reading. I was like, there... God damn it! Scientific reports with an N of eight. <laughs> I know. There's hope for all of us. What? <laughs> it's crazy, uh, man. Yeah, but uh... yeah. Well, that's. <laughs> like the paper, like the thing I brought up before. Sample size and and stuff does not necessarily dictate impact. No. Sometimes it is a, a simple but straight to the point study that brings up something really cool and in a really sort of accessible way. Yeah. Because with the videos and and the actual context of this paper is it's very much straight to the point and understandable. Mm-hmm. That's uh, crazy. So they. Uh... What they were doing uh, was trying to work out. They 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 had this idea that the main reason for snake strikes not being successful was going to be the evasive maneuvers by the kangaroo rats, and so they kind of set out to test this, as we talked about, by filming the interaction of a snake trying to strike at a rat and the rat potentially trying to get out of the way or just getting nailed by the snake. And, um, yeah, they had these eight observations. Four times snakes were successful, four times they weren't. Um, Of the times when snakes weren't successful, two were because the snake simply missed. It mistimed its strike. You know, I mean, Mm. fair play to the snake. Kangaroo rats are pretty fast and it's dark. Um, Admittedly, they do have heat-sensing pits. But, you know, you can only go so far. And um, the other... other (laughs) Give the snakes a break, man. Yeah, exactly. I'm not being too hard on the snakes. I like snakes. So, um, yeah, and I mean, those little creatures, mate. That that second video where the kangaroo rat, like, it's, like, stopped. It's just stopped. And then the snake strikes at it. And Holy literally smokes. out of nowhere, it just jumps, like, directly it's... in the air. does a little pirouette. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's... I would... These, these Both these videos were shoving in the show notes, both on YouTube. So you don't have access to the paper or anything like that to go see them. The the second one of the the actual avoidance of the rat is unbelievable. <laughs> like the snake has fully initiated the strike. It's almost halfway through the strike before the rat starts sort of doing. Yeah, it's like spins itself out of the way. It's some matrix stuff, man. It must have been seeing the code of that snake before it even. Yeah, it's just. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, I can only imagine when they reviewed the camera footage and saw that for the first time. <laughs> like, I would have just, I would have hit the roof. That's absolutely crazy yeah. that they managed to film that. It's, it, yeah. Like, it really does just almost lost for words how impressive everything going on in that shot is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the coolest things I've seen. So the you talk about that 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 rat realizing the snake was coming. It noticed the strike and reacted within 60 milliseconds so six hundredths of a second it took this rat to yeah. clock the snake and then begin reacting um and, as and you remind said, reminder that a human blink is 200 milliseconds yeah so you know it is it can, milliseconds or microseconds it's milliseconds milliseconds it? yeah milliseconds so it's 0.004 right so well, that's what we were talking about earlier. The not point not not milliseconds, yes. milliseconds. Yeah, so, so six six times. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so you know, this snake could do uh, the 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 rat could react nearly four times in the time it takes you to blink. Which I mean, that is a scale of existence which we can't really even. That's a plane that we're not on. No, and we need incredibly expensive, fantastic bits of uh, camera equipment to even come close to seeing. Yeah, if you'd seen this in real life, you'd literally have just... There would have been a rat hopping through the grass, there would have been a snake sitting there, and then there would have just been a rat over there and a snake looking a bit of a different position. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it just... It really is animals living on a completely different scale, but this time the scale is time, and as opposed to uh, size, it's... Yeah, yeah. So what one thing that was interesting was... Um, 
The maximum velocities that the snakes achieved during both successful and unsuccessful strikes um, were a lot faster than the maximum values observed by the Penning et al. paper we just discussed. Hugely faster, in fact. Yeah, which, as we were talking about... What were we talking, like four times? uh, I've got here they were... We accelerations of 279 metres per second squared, and I've got written down 878 metres per second squared maximum acceleration so that's the accelerate so the acceleration is four times faster wow uh presuming that that works as saying it's four times faster i don't know i don't know how acceleration works but i mean that those numbers are very different which is impressive and so uh the the velocities velocities which is the actual speed it was 19 percent faster during successful and 36 percent faster during unsuccessful strikes uh, mm. The Penning et al. paper. So that suggests that either there's some variation in how fast snakes strike, or um, when they're actually hunting something for real and not defending themselves, they strike faster. Yes. Oh, of course, you, you know, you've got species variation, you've got size variation, uh, possibly temperature variation, although I don't. Uh, the other, the Penning paper was done at 24 degrees, I think. I think it was 27. And this one. It? Was it 27? Yeah. So. And this one was done at 23. Uh, so these snakes are colder, but they're still going faster. Oh, sorry, that's the average body temperature of the snake was 23. Okay. So, you know, there's things that like that could be playing into playing into it. Um, yeah, you, you're comparing a, a captive study compared to a natural study, so you've got that sort of natural variation going on. Mm, yeah, it could be the captive snakes have got fat and lazy. You know, we were, we were sort of jokily poking fun at the the size of the sample for the scientific reports but the issue with smaller sample sizes is you may be missing variation in a population yeah so you might just happen to have a few very fast snakes and uh yep to, i mean possible. to be honest that's not expected because otherwise the previous dietary studies on these snakes wouldn't have shown that they're eating a lot of kangaroo rats Mm. so that sort of backs all this up pretty uh, solidly so there was another paper uh which is from 2017 by shraft and clark uh so rulon oh my gosh have we just picked up the same the same bonus paper as well (laughs) oh really have we with the uh kangaroo rats change temperature when (laughs) investigating rattlesnake predators (laughs) yeah yeah i saw that too it was suggested to me by the website of a hosts the paper the uh it was cool though if you were if you check the uh i believe i put it in the possible future episodes thing on the google drive as well oh did you (laughs) (laughs) that's where i got it well uh either way it was cool right they they, their faces and their faces and heads cool down fractionally when they know there's a rattlesnake around and their legs get warmer what's that Mm. about yeah, it's, just, it's detecting a rat snake and preemptively preparing itself for some sort of massively intense evasive manoeuvre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny, though, because there's that paper by Runder Settel where the um, the squirrels heat their tails to make them hotter and then they wave them at the rattlesnakes and that's kind of an indicator to the snakes that they've been spotted and so the snakes are just like, ah, oh, fine, see you later, I won't bother. Um yes. Yeah, don't bother expending energy. I'll expend a bit of energy. Just, you know, give up now. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder... Better luck next time. Whether or not there's actually um, some kind of defensive reason for this behaviour or signalling or perhaps it... Possibly. You know, perhaps even if you're heating your legs and cooling your face. I mean, like you say, it does make sense for, for helping them achieve better locomotion, but... Could it be that it makes their heat signature further back towards the body and increases the chance a snake might miss? I don't know. I mean, that's just a thought I had. I had no idea. No one knows the answer to that. But um, I don't think so. I don't know. I, I didn't do much of further reading on the kangaroo rats, but it strikes me like they've had a decent amount of research done on them. Um, what was also cool with this is it wasn't just rat being spooked causes that change because they didn't change when they were presented with control objects that were sort of novel to them and should have spooked them. It was specific to snakes that they Mm. uh, shifted, which is very cool. I love little bits like that where you sort of... I don't know if it's getting into the mind of the animal because you're not sure if they're consciously picking up 
oh, that's a snake, I better do this thing. Or it's a more automatic, innate response. But whatever it is, it's very cool to see. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of examples where that happens. Like, chameleons will change... They'll they'll color match their surroundings better in the presence of a bird than a snake and stuff like that because snake because birds yeah. have better vision, at least Bradipodian do in one case. But yeah, it is it is really interesting to know the or to think about the um, actual decision making by these animals. Mm. But yeah, so as it turns out, rattlesnakes snakes are really fast. Kangaroo rats are really fast, and when you film them in super slow motion, you get really cool videos of them doing crazy, crazy stuff. I yeah, I mean this is a really awesome paper in terms of this is what's going on in these events that you can't see it's a glimpse into another world and I think that's just so so engaging in so many ways and there are other videos I highly recommend just jumping on the the same account that uh, the two supplementary ones of this paper on and there's a fun one with a rattlesnake that's trying to get a uh, squirrel Oh yeah, and the squirrel—it's hard to see how the squirrel gets away, but the squirrel gets away, and the rattlesnake is so sort of overextended, it sort of shoots itself off down this little slope, and it just slides down this hill after the squirrel. So <laughs> 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 so fully committed to the bite, and then it goes woo and slips down the hill. Oh, I want to watch uh, that. Made me smile. I'll watch yeah. that after. Cool. Uh, yeah, YouTube. A good resource. I, would, I, I hope I someday, someday film some cool animal behaviour and get to put it on YouTube. Haven't you film, filmed some cool animal behaviour? Pretty sure you have. I have, but, you know, not... You filmed that that crab getting killed by ants? Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty... Uh, I still want to write that pretty up. Pretty raw. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> it really upset me. They also killed a frog. Well, <laughs> yeah, ants are... <laughs> They're so sinister. They're incredible. They sliced but off its pincers so it had no so it had no means of defending itself, and then they just consumed it. It was still walking around. It's horrible. Same for the frog. They cut its legs off, and then it was crawling around, and then they cut its front legs off, and it was just basically a sausage. And then they just pieced it apart. It was still blinking and stuff. <laughs> oh, enough. No, yeah. I mean, this was like forty minutes of my life, man. I, this is cathartic <laughs> for me. I need to talk about it. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> You've got other cool videos of things doing stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Stuff that's less grim. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I, I'm sure I have. I just can't. They don't come to mind now. I'm just shuddering at the horrible recollection of ants. <laughs> anyway, let's go on to our super fun segment, shall we? <gasps> Species of my week. Yeah, boy. Nice. So, so <laughs> go on. It's your go, isn't it? You go. Species of the week. Wick Ramasing, Vidan Pafirana, Kandambi, Pyron, and Wick Ramasing a second time. 2017. A new species of Aspistura from Sopadat Sanctuary in uh, Sri Lanka. Published in Zootaxa, unsurprisingly. I this snake right yeah I'd never heard of the genus Aspidura before to be perfectly frank no but then there are a lot of colubrids out there well this isn't one of them oh it is it's a Naturisinae not Naturisidae what a stupid mm. thing to say uh, Aspidura a genus endemic to Sri Lanka which like I say I'd never heard of um but as well, it turns out... Sri Lanka's that island off India, isn't it? I don't know how you haven't heard of it. Oh, very good. Very good. Right, let's wrap <laughs> this up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Enough of your hijinks. Yeah, literally. I'm ending this. Getting too big for your boots now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, what are we talking about? We're talking about a snake which is about 256 millimetres long. Sorry, 256 millimetres SVL. With a tail length for around 37. Yeah. And larger individuals, uh, 414 SVL. So, not a monstrous snake, but a decent size. 
Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they're quite cool. Um, they look quite cool. They got a pointy nose. Pointy nose, beautiful. Um, what's the word? Iridescence. Mm, yeah, uh, very much like your sunbeam snakes, or a reticulated python has a sort of bit of that iridescence. It's sort of shimmery rainbow scales. I mean, they they are good looking snakes. They have a a sort of very rough yellow stripe that runs along both sides and from pretty much nose all the way to tail. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but actually quite interesting pointy faces. Very, very sort of triangular. Yeah, it makes not them particularly look... distinct from the from the neck and the head. Yeah, and they're quite chunky too. They they um they look like they're built for burrowing, don't they? To me, absolutely. Yeah, really short tail as well. Um, little pokey thing. Yeah, looks really and um very unusual hemipene, which is photographed in great detail. Looks like a little shrub. <laughs> <laughs> a little shrub yeah maybe it's not unusual maybe it's just I'm un- yeah that's what I was going to make comment on is I don't really know if that is un- yeah, I'm just, unusual or not I think it's unusual in so far as I'm not accustomed to seeing a hemipene in such high resolution um, <laughs> oh <laughs> but yeah many spikes many spikes it looks like a little cactus <laughs> okay so one of the things about these snakes is they're called rough sided snakes and um, the reason for that is that they have little spikes on their sides, just down towards the vent, um, which apparently is called the Ischiatic region. And uh, yeah, they've just got little spikes. I don't know why that is. I don't know if the paper says anything about this, but it looks pretty crazy. I guess it's locomotion related. Yeah, maybe they like stick those spikes in and then propel themselves forward with it. Kind of like... Mm. Um, because some snakes have that kind of big, blunt scale on the end that they like use to propel themselves with a good little prod. Mm. Um, but yeah, they're cool. What do they call this species? They've called it Aspidura ravenae, which is named after the Emperor Ravana, who was one of the greatest emperors of all times, who was thought to have lived nearly 5,000 years ago in Sri Lanka and was said to have immense intelligence and power. Um, so, although it is named after someone, technically speaking, it's someone from a long time ago, so I think it's sort of slightly more acceptable. And because it's someone who is associated with the place in which the snake lives, it's kind of a cool reminder of the species. So I'm, I'm okay with it. What do you think? Yes. Um, yeah, it's better than some. <laughs> it's still named after a person which I don't have the greatest agreement on, but, you know. Whatever. Thing is, once you get. It's a stunning blooming snake, so. Yeah, it is very cool. Um, And what do we know about their natural history? Uh, They've been found in. in mountains. Yeah, they like montane cloud forests above 1,650, below 2,000 meters elevation in shady areas with dense leaf litter, hiding under soil or logs. But then who doesn't? Who doesn't love hiding under soil and some logs in high montane forest? Well. Count me as one of those. I love it. Um, <laughs> Can't get enough. You catch me in the shady areas with dense leaf litter. Shady's good, but a nice, good sort of hummus layer. That's where I can really feel at home. Oh, I love hummus. Yeah. <laughs> I love it on breadsticks. <laughs> the most delicious layer of all. So, yeah, they're found up to 30 centimetres below ground level. So our assertions about the fossorial nature of this creature might well be true. Looking forward to learning more about their ecology when human beings find out more. Yes, because presumably the snakes know all about their ecology already. But they just won't tell us. (laughs) Damn secretive (laughs) snakes. Right, okay. We're verging on... Just yet to gain their trust. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, only a few have been caught and they ended up swimming in alcohol, so... If I was a snake, I'd be pretty cagey about giving away my habits. <laughs> yeah. And locality information. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're really cool. Great, great new discovery. Exciting stuff. Really cool endemic species. Any endemism is exciting. So for a, a brand new glossy jet black snake with yellow dorsal stripe, not dorsal stripe, side stripe, and um, the really spiky region, which is weird. And, you know, the cactus hemipene. They've got a lot going on. I like them a lot. I rate them highly. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, I'll stop rambling about this snake now. Um, I think that's just about it, isn't it? Uh, I think it is for main stuff, unless you got other stuff to bring up. No, mate. That's it. So, okay. So, well, I've got something to bring up then. Well, I've got I got something to bring up, but it's not to do with the main stuff. So. Oh. Sorry, I thought you meant you were just like done. No, no, done. no, no. Just, just never leaving. Done. Never done. I've got a correction, but you crack on. Oh, um, okay. I just wanted to highlight the uh, cool paper that popped up in Science about the. Uh, it was a O'Hanlon paper about the origin of chytrid. Chytrid, chytrid. Oh yeah. Oh no. Yes, basically coming from a uh, sort of Korean Peninsula sort of place, or at least some virulent strain of. It. I um, think I think you're right in saying Kitrid. I think so. I think that was what Mark Schertz told us to say. Oh, I, I, there's only so much that can fit in my brain in one time, and the amount I'm reading currently is pushing out other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I think especially when it comes to pronunciation, because I know how to type it. I think, that's or at least what it was. I can I th- find it to copy and paste. It's Kitrid. It right. It's Kitrid. It's Kitrid. It's Kitrid. Kitrid. Did we say Kytrid at some point? We said Kytrid. Mark said problem? we should say Kytrid. And then... Okay. I we're, think someone else we're said... We're rolling with Kytrid. Don't worry about it, guys, but... Let's get it right. You're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't worry about it. You sound like morons. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, it's a cool paper that sort of detailed the uh, shifts of it and stuff. Um, I'm going to be... I'd be lying if I said that I understood the ins and outs of that paper. But... Um, it's cool news towards understanding a disease and perhaps more importantly the vectors it's taken to get around the world. I feel like that's probably the biggest message to take home from it was it, it does really look like a sort of human pet trade related sort of human pet trade? That sounds like we're trading humans as pets. Pet trade transported by humans separate things around the world like that that does at least that's the message i took was a sort of biosecurity slant on it Mm. yeah i think they call the human pet trade something else (laughs) yeah i yeah that's that's not cool that's separate yeah (laughs) cool yeah well that's all that's all i got that's all i really wanted to bring up cool yeah well kitrid never Never out of our minds because obviously ongoing crisis. Um, I think what have I got? Yes. Yeah, so Remember to wash your boots before re- travelling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wash your boots and quarantine any frogs that you might have, and don't let them go in the wild if they're not wild. Or maybe just don't bother transporting frogs unless you really, really, really have to. Like recreational purposes might not be sufficient justification for transport of frogs internationally. Oh, yeah, you can say that. It's easy to say though. Look what happened with uh, alcohol being banned in America. People want frogs, they're going to get frogs. Just saying. But anyway. Yeah, all right, I guess. But But yeah, you're yes, right. Mm, um, yes, okay. No, no, I take your point. I'm, we're not getting into that no. debate. <laughs> We've had that debate point. loosely before. But um, yeah, uh, we won't... Yeah, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, so anyway, I've got, I've got a correction. So, do you remember in the last episode we were saying the word Apolochicola? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's, this correction's great. This yeah, is great fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Apolochicola. Apolochicola. So, Apolochicola is how you're supposed to say it. Uh, and this is a correction from Brandon Barassa, which is a cool name. And uh, he said that he basically sent us a song by a guy called Tim McGraw uh, called Southern Voice. Uh, it's a country song. And in it, he talks about something to do with Apalachicola, the wind, or something like that, it being nice. Um, honestly, not the greatest <laughs> song I've ever heard. I mean, I don't think it's going to alter the proportion of my music listening, which comprises country music, which is admittedly very low. But um, yeah, it was pretty is hilarious. It? I thought, I thought, I thought you were pure country. <laughs> no. I thought you couldn't alter it because you're already at maximum country. <laughs> no, it's a it's a fairly low percentage, but. Anyway, funny song. No, I actually that thought that still was... doesn't explain all those cowboy hats you wear. <laughs> Look, it's essential to have a very, very diverse spectrum of cowboy hats, Ben. You never know what could happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
this so that was the most hilarious correction we've ever had so thank you very much brandon yeah a correction in song form that ain't gonna happen very often no no uh the other thing i wanted to mention was i found this thing by the iucn called the global reintroduction perspectives 2018 um Mm -hmm. and it's this kind of free to download booklet sort of thing um it's a big old thing um lots and lots of pages but there's within it 59 <laughs> lots and lots of pages. <laughs> sounds like donald trump <laughs> all the pages Whoa, i'm i'm going right there I'm, how many pages you say um yeah all right <laughs> how many pages it has got uh oh, i did download it where did i open it uh, five and the text isn't big print here it is 302 pages whoa yeah, man. It's a lot of pages. I did warn you. So See? You played with fire and you got burned. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like all these case studies of times where animals have been attempted to be reintroduced into their native range following captive propagation or, you know, translocation to repopulate areas. And um, mm. yeah, some really cool ones. There's a few about snakes. There's one about um, reticulated pythons in Singapore being translocated and kind of measuring the successfulness of that translocation which as it turns out seemed to work out okay they were like catching them interesting so-called problem snakes and then re-releasing them and um they were getting recaptures of snakes that they translocated that uh seemed to be okay obviously they haven't got anything to compare against that, that i saw i didn't read it thoroughly yeah i'm i'm super on the side of hyper skeptical of translocation snake stuff yeah me too but um um, at the very yeah. least, what they noticed was that um, what I thought was cool, at least what they found, was that um, reticulated pythons seem to be pretty chill living in Singapore. Um, they're just managing to navigate a urban sprawl and just eating seventy percent of their diet as rats. Holy smokes! Um, I was talking to some of the guys here. Uh, they were doing some stuff in uh, down in Bangkok, and the numbers of reticulated pythons living in Bangkok that are, you know, rescued and, and moved around and stuff are mind-boggling. We're talking thousands of snakes over the year. Like, just... You want to go study reticulated pythons and get a sample size quickly? It sounds like go to Bangkok. It just seems nuts. It sounds... Never... From what I've seen as well, I've spoken to people, it sounds like the numbers of pit vipers are really, really, really high in Bangkok as well. Like, in the... Uh, unused plots of land where there's like yeah scrub yeah that's what i've yeah heard similar things it just seems to be a for i guess it's rodent loving species are just yeah they make if they can adapt they can thrive yeah it's a lot it's of potential crazy. to study really cool yeah because there was that um if you want to if you want to study in an urban environment yeah yeah because devan song i did. wouldn't want to go studying retics in bangkok especially Oh, I don't think I could handle the lifestyle of living in Bangkok to study reticulated pythons. I was pythons. more thinking if you if you're following a retic, they're probably going to some pretty unpleasant places. <laughs> Just clambering about in the sewers. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but um, Devan Song uh, did that paper um, on the white lip pit vipers in Hong Kong, and they yes. were catching and translocating them. And they were just—I mean, she had so many snakes. What well, that—that was. Over a hundred sample size, wasn't it? I'm not sure. I just remember that there was like, oh. I thought it was forty. They did surgeries on. Mm. Anyway, anyway, it, it was a matter. big sample size, and they had something like a translocated survivability of sixty percent. Okay, is what I'm remembering off the top of my head. Mm, yeah, I'm with you though. It's I a, think translocation. It's a damn good paper that. Yeah, yeah, really cool. I mean. I mean, we were reading it when it was a um, thesis, and then the paper came out, and it was just like, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I think I might have even cited the thesis and had to change my citations as it all <laughs> got updated. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I'm with you, though. Translocation is not a good idea. So if you're thinking about catching a snake and putting it somewhere different, try not to put it too far away, because all the evidence suggests that, hey, we should do an episode on that, you know. We absolutely should, yes. I would recommend holding off for about two three weeks <laughs> Ooh, insider info yeah no we'll do that we'll do that cool so yeah um that's it mate for me anyway i just want to uh confirm the devon sam thing quickly dromerosus alba labris how many did they have 
nuisance snakes. They radio attract 18 females in 2012, 15 females and 8 males in 2013. So they overall tracked 41 snakes. Yeah, and they never lost any snakes during handling sedation, surgery, or transport. That's why I've said it. Which is always nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, survival rates are different from what I remember, but that's totally future episode stuff right there. But yes, I'm done. Sorry. Um, cool. Yeah, so thank you for listening to us for all this time. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we're herphighlights at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter at herphighlights. Uh, yeah. You can donate to the podcast on Patreon. Won't harp on too much about that. Uh, yeah. Thanks very much for listening. Yes, thank you for listening. Hope to catch you all in two weeks' time. Yeah. Nice one. Take it easy. these two house skinks running about chasing each other, biting each other on the face, all sorts of chaos and yeah. uh, somebody found a tiny, tiny baby skink the other day, like an inch long. Wow. So precious. Oh. And then mum and dad are just running around flirting. Yeah, I, I don't, well I don't know if the sort of, it was like it might have been or it might have been some sort of territorial skink dominance of the uh, of the house. So we sort of this little skink sidled up and this other one just ran in, just like nipped it on the face and then chased it off. It's always hard to distinguish whether they're fighting or sexing. Yeah. Well, whatever it was. <laughs> they're right. putting, putting their all into it. <laughs> <laughs>